0: Good evening LCM. Thank you. Yeah. Tonight is Wednesday June 10th 2020. We just want you to know that as a church we're extremely proud of you. Man we have had some serious, it's like a like a buffet line of, of, of teaching in this last few weeks yes. on Monday nights, on Sundays, on Wednesday nights, on Friday nights. Whenever we can have it what we're doing is we are trying to stuff you as full as an ox with the word of God. Look, we're having miracles in our midst. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We are gaining ground in our homes. We're winning in our marriages. The opposition is rising, but so are you. This is a house of victorious warriors. Is this a house of
1: victorious warriors? Yeah. Hey, we have had wonderful sermons, and our latest one was spiritual geographical war. Do you guys remember that? Come on, in it we covered an understanding of the spiritual realms, rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual dominators. <laughs> and we were reminded of how we are making war against them. Hey, this allows the entirety of the gospel to come into better view for each one of us. Come on, we learned about conversion as en- an enlistment into war against the three levels of celestial opposition. Yeah. We now have a good better view of baptisms. And baptisms were a declaration of war. war. Absolutely. And we now view discipleship as the basic training and even advanced
0: combat training. So that we can be fully equipped, ready to go to war. We are taking time to learn about victory. Somebody say victory. Victory. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. We're going to pick up tonight. And one of the last verses that we left with on Monday night. Oh, yeah. First Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 58 says this. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. That's right, man. Don't you love it when our first scripture of the night gives you enough to chew on that you could you can go home and just taking this singular verse stand firm, brothers and sisters, let nothing move you. Always, somebody say always, always, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. My goodness. Now, first Corinthians 15 should take on a whole new meaning for us in this church. You should have a whole understanding that it is a full gospel presentation from beginning to end that allows us to understand. Therefore, what we what is it Therefore, so that we can stand firm in exactly what God has said. See, we know exactly when victory is going to be achieved. And when victory is achieved, it's everything in creation. Yeah. Completely subjected to our God, to His Messiah, and to us, the body of Christ. See, now this ultimate victory, it's got some uh, preceding precursors that happen. The preceding events are that the faithful sons and soldiers who are walking victoriously are going to show that because of their holiness. They're going to have marital shalom. They're going to have family and generational Dominance. Yeah. Somebody say dominance. Dominance? Man, isn't that just a different thought than making it on? We just hope to keep our kids around. We hope to move with No, we're gonna have families and generations that are dominating the enemy. And your world, your sphere of influence being transformed as you bring the kingdom of God here on this earth. Can somebody say amen? Amen.
1: Hey church, look, knowing what you know now, we've got to say that we must we are implored by heaven to continue in the revelation that we've been getting these past couple weeks. Unless you guys have got it 100% and we're all done. Let me move on to something else, right? No. no, there's more meat on the bone. We got some more to go to understand this. See, we need to trust that our studies will ingrain these principles into our daily lives. Yeah. Affecting the generations in our families and even extending as far as the one association of churches.
0: Come on, that's true. Church, we just want to let you know that your personal studies over the next few weeks and months, uh, you have enough to chew on over the last few weeks that have been given to you. Yeah. Can I tell you what the Southern ones are doing? We're going through, we're not stopping our normal teachings. We're not stopping our normal readings, but what we're doing is we're going through and making sure. It is my responsibility as the pastor of my home and also the pastor of this church to make sure that my family is understanding what we just taught. I mean, I'm talking about my 10-year-old. I'm talking about my 17-year-old. I'm talking about me and my wife, that we are going through these things. See, knowing what you now know. I mean, what does that mean for us? We have to continue. We're going to continue to utilize the wealth of revelation that we've received and see it displayed. Tonight, you're going to get to see it displayed in yet another dimension. You're going to get to understand a very practical and implementable steps that you can do tonight, taking what you've learned and moving us forward. Can somebody say amen? Amen. In fact, church,
1: knowing what you know now, let's begin to talk about obstacles that open the door for the various levels of celestial opposition that we have been discussing this whole time. Are you guys ready?
0: Yes. Amen. Church, as we go forward, I want you to understand the idea of spiritual opposition. Anybody been feeling a little spiritual opposition lately? Lately, some celestial opposition in what you're doing. Can I encourage you that it is usually not a demonic manifestation in front of you? Unless you work for Chris Ysora, that's probably not a daily occurrence. <laughs> that's probably not going to happen every day. Some other scenarios, but we're pretty close, <laughs> pretty close. What this looks like more often than not is that you have problems in keeping your thoughts straight, that you have problems keeping your emotions straight. See that what happens in these levels of celestial opposition is they start working on you and they work on you. These are designed, spiritual warfare is designed to take place over decades. Somebody say decades, decades and generations somebody say generations generations see if we're going to start dealing with these spiritual realms if we're going to understand the celestial opposition that comes to us at whatever level at however many levels that they are what we have to understand is that it starts in a certain way that gets you thinking wrong gets you feeling wrong if it gets you acting wrong and soon enough you take yourself out of the fight wow. mm. come on we're going to we're going to talk about uh, some hygiene issues tonight oh amen No, no, I don't mean, I'm not talking to all the single men, you know, who can have a habit of smelling like a bad combo of like onions and taco seasoning and sweat (laughs) or something. I'll talk to you guys later about all that. That's next Wednesday, yeah. That's next Wednesday sermon. Tonight, we're actually going to talk about something that smells worse.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Smells much worse than that. It's actually kind of got the smell of death on it Mm. and destruction. Mm. It's the kind of uh, stinking thinking. That should make us all just a little bit nauseated. Now, I could call this carnal thinking, but the truth is, is it's usually just stinking thinking.
1: Yeah.
0: Everybody say stinking thinking.
1: Stinking thinking. Let's
0: turn to Romans chapter eight to see what I'm talking about. Now, y'all should know what we're talking about. We're talking about some stinking thinking. Romans chapter eight and verse seven. Say there when you're there. There. Say stinking thinking when you're there. Look at this. Romans 8 and verse 7. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Can I just tell you here that Romans 8 is not written to unbelievers out there somewhere. It's not written to those who do not consider themselves to be in the body of Christ. It is written to Christians. So in verse 7 when it says the sinful mind is hostile to God... It is not talking about them. It's talking about us. Somebody say, it's talking about me.
1: It's talking about me.
0: See, we have to understand that our sinful mind, our carnal thinking, our stinking thinking is an offense and is hostile towards God. See, we're trying to make war with him and for him, but we are warring against him when our minds aren't right, when we are operating in stinking thinking. It, It says that it does not submit and it cannot submit. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what that's like to have just something inside of you, and you know what's right, and you know what you ought to say, and you know what you ought to do. You just don't want to. Mm. Somebody will come up and say something to you, and you know what you ought to say. You know even a scripture that you should say, but you're like, no, I'm going to let this dude have it. I- I'm just going to go ahead and say what's on the top of my mind. Yeah, somebody say, that's stinking thinking.
1: That's stinking thinking. Thank you.
0: See, those controlled by that stinking thinking, you cannot please God. You can't even try without submitting this and turning this around. Let's address the low-hanging fruit here for just a minute. The part of this that should be patently obvious, even to the most elementary of believers in the room. If your social media is full of reposts, likes, and meme-tastic agreement with the thoughts of our society, then you have stinking thinking. Wow. Mm. Now, if I pulled up your Facebook, if I pulled up your social media accounts and just looked at them, do you tend to agree with what the world is saying? Are you reposting? Are you agreeing? Are you liking? Are you whatever goes on there? Are you doing that? That sounds and looks just like the world church that is stinking thinking. Mm. You are echoing the celestial wicked sinful realm and the thoughts of them dominating the people of this age in this season Come on. when your posts look more like the world you got some stinking thinking going on somebody say man that stinks that stinks
1: yeah when you start agreeing with the archons that have rebelled against god that's stinking thinking or how about this how about you sit in the seat listen to this wonderful fired up holy ghost filled sermon but through your mind is every thought of, I can't wait until this service is over. I want to get home and escape get in my into my, my source of electronic entertainment. I mean, all of all of this word, all of this preaching and repentance has just got me to the point where I'm burnt. I just need to relax a little bit. That is stinking digging.
0: If your conversations throughout the day are void of the word, without the word of God. It sound more like a daytime talk show oh. because you're talking about the current hot topics of COVID, George Floyd, or heck, even Pink Floyd. Another brick in the wall. Another brick in the wall. <laughs> Church, then you have stinking thinking. Somebody say, I don't want that.
1: I don't want that. Come on, let's be honest. Most of us have the problem of not even thinking very much about the state of those around us. We're too caught up in thinking about ourselves, our needs, our lack, our own prayer request.
0: That is stinking thinking. Now, there's a reason that we call this the low-hanging fruit. These are the things that are beyond contestation. They're simple. They're easy. We should all understand that and agree with that immediately. Does everyone agree? Yeah, okay, amen. But now that we've cleared the air, so to speak, about that stank that Mm. we thank. Mm. That's Febreza pasta. (laughs) We're actually going to start digging a little bit deeper now. That's the easy stuff. We're just going to throw that out there and expect you to be able to catch it. That's the easy stuff. Y'all ready for it? We're going to dig in a little bit deeper Mm. and we're going to unveil the celestial opposition that makes this problem so much more subtle. Yeah. See, because if that were the only level, I wouldn't expect Hardly anyone in this room to fail on any repetitious scale. I would expect us all to get it right. But see, it's not as obvious as that all the time. See, the enemy has some subtle tactics that start getting you off course, that start getting you to be the enemy against God, even all the while, while we're saying that we're doing his will. See, so we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20 to work on this problem that is more subtle and difficult to detect and deal with. We're going to start the unveiling process in 1 Samuel chapter 20. So look, as
1: you're turning there, uh, we want to set the stage uh, and show you just how our recent messages are the perfect preparation for this topic. So, give you some understanding. In 1 Samuel 17, young David confronts, fights, and defeats a hybrid offspring, a Rephaim, a giant named Goliath who is from the town of Gath. Y'all familiar with that story? Well, in First Samuel 18, David enters a covenant brotherhood with Jonathan, son of Saul. Even as Saul hears the songs of David's mighty exploits and compared to his own, he becomes a jealous eye towards David. So much so that in 1 Samuel 19, Saul tries to kill David, Get this, with more than seven attempts in a single chapter listed, Saul tries to kill David. But wow. we'll let you know, just feel
0: free to study this in your own personal time, but we're going to continue on into 1 Samuel chapter 20. Did you guys hear what Pastor Matt said about 1 Samuel 18? He did not misspeak, he spoke it exactly correct, that Saul became a jealous eye. The Word of God actually says that he didn't just have a jealous eye, as they were singing songs of David killing the 10,000s and Saul just the thousands, when he realized he was in an unfavorable comp- uh, comparison, what he did was he became jealous of David. Now, we are now at 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1. Somebody say, stinking thinking when you're there. Yeah. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What is my crime how have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? So we begin this process. He is just left from Samuel, which wave after wave after wave of adversity, they kept sending to him at Naoth, at Ramah. And what would happen is these men who were sent there to kill David, they came under the power of God and they began to prophesy. They no longer desired to kill David, they began to prophesy. Then another way, the second group. Then the third group came. And then finally until Saul himself came and began to prophesy. We, we're going we're to tease it right now. I'm going to go ahead and tease it just a little bit. Do it. <laughs> Does this make those men's thinking any less stinking? Lord, Lord, hmm. didn't I? Can you empathize with David here? He has, been, he has had people come to his house to try to kill him. He has had wave after wave after he's run into the presence of God to try to find refuge. And again, and now he's here and he's looking at Jonathan, a brother, a covenant partner with him. And he's saying, man, what did I do? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father? Now he's trying to take my life. Multiple groups of people have been waiting to kill him. Wave after wave of people come. Three groups of men tried to capture and kill him there when he's with Samuel. Only to have God divinely intervene. Can somebody say amen for a divine intervention? Amen. It's almost like we had one of those yesterday. Right here in our midst. See, even Saul himself tries to do that. This is the situation. Does anybody feel for David? I mean, he's got some difficult things going on. He approaches his covenant brother, Jonathan, and asks him three questions. Hmm. Hey man, is there anything hidden that I don't see? Hey, man, is there anything willful that I'm doing? Hey, is there any great transgression that's in me against your father? He goes to the son of the man who's trying to kill him. He asks three questions. It's because he just dodged the third spear. Mm. There are three waves of attack. There are three groups of men. See, there's something that is underlying the text that we're going to get to to help you understand so that we can have the right kind of thinking in this house. Let's look at verse two. Never.
1: Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. Can you identify with Jonathan here? His very first statement was never, never, you're not going to die. See, what Jonathan ends up doing is that he's answering three statements to display his loyalty to David in comparison to David's three questions. You go all the way back to 1 Samuel 18, and the beginning of their relationship is that he became one in spirit with David. I mean, there was a sense of loyalty. There was a sense of commitment, one that God's hand was upon. And here he sees that his covenant partner is being attacked again and again and again. And David's in the point of questioning, what in the world is going on? What have I done wrong? And so Jonathan is standing up in defense for his brother. And he's saying, never are you going to die. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times. But a brother was born for adversity or in adversity. See, this is a sentiment that's very deep within this church. A lot of the things you see on the wall were birthed out of being in warfare with our brothers by our side. So I want you to picture something real quick. We have David. We have Jonathan they are one in spirit. They are brothers standing in the middle of warfare and contention, even within their own household. I bet they had identical tattoos. I'm talking about on their left arm, there was, you know, a Spartan phalix with fire coming out of it. And there's a sword coming down the middle of their arm. And on the other side, they had the head of Goliath that was cut off. Something that was just commemorating their brotherhood. On the top of Goliath's head, it said, bros in the faith. And underneath it said, born for the fight. Proverbs 17, something that wasn't written yet at the time, but still. But I bet they had the same type of strong bond and brotherhood that we have in this exact same house. And there was a desire to defend his brother even to the death. Uh, I would say an undying loyalty that was full of confidence. Almost too full of confidence, though. I would say overconfident. See, David was not the one with the stinking thinking. Jonathan was. Huh. See, his three statements actually form one question. Three statements form one question. See, Jonathan does a very Jewish-minded thing, and he answers David David's three questions with three statements that form a question. And the first one was, never. You are not going to die. First statement. Second, my father doesn't do anything without confiding in me. And third, why would he hide this from me? It is not so. All three of these display an overconfidence and a loyalty that's greater to David than it
0: is to God. And we're going to break this down and share exactly what it is with you. See, we're going to help you to understand that Jonathan was the one with stinking thinking here. Although his words could be taken as encouraging loyal and confident what was going on here was something that was not glorifying and we need to take a look at it look at the verse again never somebody say never never come on you could do better than that say never never Never, Jonathan replied you're not going to die wow that reminds me of a of another passage never that's not going to happen to you let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21 Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. Come on, say stinking thinking when you get there. Stinking thinking. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, somebody say third day, day. be raised to life. Peter took him aside. Now, envision this with me. Don't, don't pretend like you've read this a thousand times. Peter took Jesus aside. Come here.
1: <laughs> I got to tell you something.
0: So, uh, Jesus, I need to rebuke you. <laughs> yeah, you should know that there's a problem right there. <laughs> Jesus, I need to rebuke you. Never, Lord, Wow. he said, this shall never happen to you. Man, isn't that amazing how similar Jonathan's words are to Peter's words right here? Never. He took Jesus aside. Man, that's bold. that's That's showing some friendship, isn't it? No. No, 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 no. That's not a good thing. That is some stinking thinking going on that looks like it's camaraderie, that looks like it's brotherhood, but it's not. See, by the way, this exact passage happens in a certain spot. It happens just a few moments after Peter gets divine revelation of who Jesus actually is. Yeah. He states it in such a way that, that still causes the enemy to quake. And just a few moments later, Pastor, are you saying that even after after an anointed moment, we can slide into stinking thinking? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying to you. Right after divine revelation, Jesus is standing at Caesarea Philippi. He's standing right in front of temples to Pan, of temples to Caesar Augustus, where Og used to rule, on Mount Hermon in Bashan. See, you can have revelation and you can still slide right on back into sink and thinking. You can actually see rightly in the moment. And then if you don't learn how to stay there, there are all kinds of celestial opposition. That's trying to go, fine, you got a revelation. Now let me see if I can take it from you. Mm. Now let me see if I can make it where it makes no impact. Great, you got an awesome revelation. Now let me get oh, yeah. you to slide back and even begin to rebuke the things of the Lord. Let me, let me just let you slide your arm around somebody and think that you can start rebuking. This is what's going on here in this passage. Look at verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, in case you hadn't got it yet, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus is looking right at Peter and saying, hey, man, you got some stinking thinking. You better stop. You better stop before you get in trouble. What Peter took as an encouragement, as loyalty, confidence, discernment, Jesus says is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. Literally calls him by the same name. Man, you know what you just sounded like? You sounded like the one who's always trying to oppose me. You sound like the one who's been revealed to be behind all these things. Your words, you think are encouraging, but I'm telling you that they sound just like Satan. Man, somebody say, that's stinking thinking.
1: That's stinking thinking.
0: Peter goes from a superstar to a stumbling block in just a few verses. At least that's just Peter, right? Nope. Guilty. (sighs) See, we took care of the low-hanging fruit earlier. Now we're trying to get it where we live. See, we're going to go into this so that you can understand exactly what it is that Jonathan did, because we see it in here in Peter and Jesus just calls it for what it is. Yeah. We're going to get where we don't have stinking thinking in this church. We're going to revise this. We're going to let these words that God has been speaking to us sink down and it not be taken away. Um, hear it by your own actions. That's right. Influenced by whatever spiritual realm, but by your choices, mm. but by your behavior, but by your thinking. See, we're going to go ahead and expose it now. It is unlikely that Satan will appear before you and try to just handcuff you from doing God's will. There are going to be gentle nudges that you feel like are your own thoughts. they are going to be just whispers in your ear that you feel like are your own emotions. they are just going to be little nudges here and there just to knock you off. Just to get you out of and thinking in your own mind. See, this is what we have here. Let's go back to Samuel. So,
1: both Samuel and Peter... They started at the exact same point that led them to stinking thinking. And that starting point was assumption. Say assumption. Assumption. Now, we'll break that down on a whiteboard a little bit later on after service. But their assumption is seen in their statement that's near identical. Never. Never you are going to die. See, they're assuming what the plan is before it's been fully revealed to them. They're operating on an initial revelation, but they think that that then entitles them to a further expectation of what the outcome should be. Wow, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Therefore, I know exactly how everything from this point forward is going to end up. You are David. You are the anointed king of Israel to replace this man, earthly, carnal king. I know exactly how your kingdom is going to play out all the way to the end. And I am here to preserve it, to make sure it happens. Well, let me say this. Assumptions are embedded expectations, devoid of divine discernment. Assumptions are embedded expectations, devoid of divine discernment. They are stumbling blocks of your own overconfidence, Justifying your lack of divine discernment. See, Joshua did the exact same thing with the Gibeonites. He and the men of Israel sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord about the Gibeonites. David, moving the ark, went ahead with a method and plan without Inquiring of the Lord that cost the man his life. Saul, he inquired of nearly everything that was out there. Even a witch of Endor, he was consulting the celestial opposition instead of God. And where did that land him? Death. Death in him and death even in the generations that were to come from him. See, Proverbs 16.2 says this. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Wow. Well, what, a, what an honor it really is whenever we get disciplined by the Lord to weigh and measure our assumptions. And when they are found hollow, we then have the opportunity to get substance of God's word, inquiring of him that gives us
0: the substance that will weigh rightly before God. Has anyone had a, ever had a problem with thinking that your motives were more pure than they actually were? Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely. You were deceived
0: in yourself? Yeah, absolutely. This is what we're talking about here. These assumptions that you're already right. You're starting off with the assumption that you're right. And everything that you see is only proving what your original assumption was. See, another scripture that goes with this is Proverbs 14,
1: 12. There is a way that seems right to man. That's assumption. But in the end, it leads death. Look, some personal examples. I've seen such strong levels of brotherhood. I have had such strong levels of brotherhood that have made absurd statements of commitment that God has never ordained to make. Such as this, bro, I am with you no matter what. No, no. If you walk away from Jesus, and continue an unrepentant sin, then I'm not with you. Because you're not with God. That's why. Amen. See, our brotherhood and bond of it does not supersede or even equal our relationship with the living God. Amen. His word, His relationship, takes supremacy overall. Yeah. Yeah. But this goes even into marriage. Assuming your standard of shalom instead of God's standard of shalom saying, yeah, I'm I'm just going to use one side of my card, the Abigail side. I'm not going to look at the ball side because that makes me feel convicted every time. (laughs) Wrong. You start with the, the ball side. That's how you actually begin to establish shalom. Put to death your own flesh. Parenting. Assuming your standard of discipline rather than the biblical standard of discipline. Come on now. I don't know why my kids are so bad. I just do everything opposite of what the word says to do with them. It hurts my heart more than it hurts their behind. And I just can't take it. Then you're not doing it right. No. No. Remove the assumption out of your parenting so they can then get biblical and produce the right kind of fruit inside of it. See, all, all these things, they leave us open to the enemy's attacks and they allow us to assume what victory looks like without first acquiring divine discernment. We assume what success looks like without first hearing from God. See, thinking, thinking doesn't just stay at assumption, though.
0: Let's look at what Jonathan says next. Come on, anybody ever made the wrong assumption about something? Oh, Yeah. Anybody ever decided you were going to do something that you assumed was the Lord and you never actually asked him? Come on now. We're, we're your pastors. We're your family. We treat you all like our family. We love you like family. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times. I'm, 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 I'm saying it to all of you. We keep coming back right hey, pastor, what do you think about this? That's, that's a great question. What has the Lord said to you about it?
1: I was hoping you would tell me.
0: Have you actually prayed about this? Just just (laughs) now in my mind. (laughs) Yeah, just right now. (laughs) See, we we are prone to making assumptions. We are prone to just deciding what we want to do and then taking off in that direction. We haven't asked the Lord. We haven't even thought about the Lord. We say, I got this one. Peter didn't ask before he began to speak to Jesus. He heard what was being said and decided that he already knew what was better. Jonathan didn't ask the Lord about this. He heard what David said and then just decided that he had the right answer. Man, what would it look like for somebody in here to just go, I don't know. Let me go ask the Lord first. Let me not assume that I already know what I'm going to do here. Even if it's what what I've done five, ten, five hundred times in a row. How about I not assume that? See, we go back to what Jonathan said now. Look. Look. My father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. That's the second thing that Jonathan said. See, both Jonathan and Peter displayed the kind of attitude that says that they know better than the Davidic king. It's one thing to assume we've all done it. We all feel okay with admitting that we've assumed something. That we have an assumption that's going on. Now let's dig in a little bit deeper. Y'all going to let us dig in a little bit deeper? Oh yeah. See... The issue becomes about our own arrogance and pride in dealing with what is going on from the heavenlies. Let's all turn to Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 19 and 20. Now you're going to want to buckle up here just a little bit. Leviticus 26:19 says this. I will break down your stubborn pride. Come on now, let's just make it honest. Let's just make it real. And make the sky above you like iron. Mm. Well, that doesn't sound very helpful. No. And the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain. Remember where we started in 1 Corinthians 15? So you can stand firm knowing that your labor is not in vain. Yeah. Here when you're walking in arrogance and pride, you can rest assured that your strength is actually spent in vain. Because your soil will not yield its crops, nor the trees of the land yield their fruit. Pride in your life, arrogance in your life makes the skies like iron, hmm. makes the ground like bronze in judgment of you, and it will not produce fruit. How is it that we can walk around having no fruit and still thinking of ourselves as prideful? It's because we've been blinded and we've got stinking thinking. We still think no matter what is going on, we have no fruit in this area. Man, it must be that celestial opposition that Pastor was talking about. You know who's speaking here in this passage? The Lord. Lord. Yeah. Adversity of the celestial opposition is not the same as God dealing with your stubborn pride. Come on, You can't blame this on someone else. You can't blame this on these forces that you can't see or can't prove to take yourself away from the responsibility of how we really feel on the inside. Now, pastor, I, I'm not a prideful man. I'm not a prideful woman. Perhaps you're making an assumption right here at the beginning of this. Come on. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 11. Let me read it to you. The eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled. And the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Do you see where that, that phrase begins? The eyes of the arrogant? Does it say the words of the arrogant will be brought low? Will be humbled rather? It says the eyes. What does that mean? That means you can have pride and arrogance going on in your heart whether it ever comes out of your mouth. You can be thinking, no, that's not me. No, <laughs> no, I'm good in that one. I mean, you might give me a lot of things, but you didn't give me in that one. It says the eyes of the arrogant, not just your words. Sometimes we're much more prideful than we understand. We have much more arrogance because we just don't want to be corrected. I don't need to be corrected. See, arrogance is actually a form of idolatry. Yeah, it is. Human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. You know what pride causes you to do? It causes you to be exalting your own thoughts above the need for the word. Now yeah, see, are you with me? Sometimes you're not going to the word because you don't actually think you need to go to the word. Oh, that's good. No, I mean, you know, you know that you should go to the word. But when you continually do not go to the word, you know what? your heart is showing, you know what your stinking thinking is showing? That you think you don't need it. I got this, man. We are more susceptible in times of victory than we are in times of defeat. You know why? Because when you get defeated, it knocks you down and you're crying out to God to help you. Help me, Lord. See, we're having miracles. We're also having opposition. We want you to be victorious. We don't want you to walk with stinking thinking. We want you to get this right. See, you're, maybe it's not your thoughts that you put above the word. Maybe it's your feelings that you put above the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Lord told me this. The Spirit led me in this. It's just how you feel. Yeah. You put the experiences above the leading of God. Mm. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We're not done yet. You're welcome. We're not done yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 26. Let's look at verse 16. It says this in verse 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, Uzziah was a king of Judah. His pride led to his downfall. Wow. Just as pashat and as plain as you could say it. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. He's a king who's walking into the temple to burn incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests. Only thing that would make this passage any better is if it was 70. 70. That's right. <laughs> Azariah the high priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted him. This is the right kind of confrontation and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. This is for the priest, the descendants of Aaron who've been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary. For you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord. Hey, mm. what about us tonight? You have stinking thinking of pride and arrogance because you know what it showed up in, in this king's life? It's caused him to run in lanes that weren't his lane to run in.
1: Yeah,
0: it caused him to assume authority that he didn't actually have. It caused him to do things You're that right. put guilt upon him in such a significant way that 80 priests came in and said, you've got to stop this. Warning, there is danger before you because you are not walking where you have been called to walk. Maybe some of the frustration in our life is just that we're running in a wrong lane. Mm. We've started off with assumption and we've moved to arrogance because it doesn't matter that we have no fruit. We're just walking in something and now we just don't want to move from it. Are you unable to be corrected in this church? Mm. Do you hate it when some, I mean, The three men who spoke on Monday night, Eric and Judah and Justin, talking about an honest evaluation from King David to his son Solomon. Can you take an honest evaluation about yourself? Solomon was young and inexperienced. That didn't seem to bother him. He actually learned how to pray about that and got victory over that and became the wisest man in the world. Do you hear correction and decide you're just not going to... Now, you may say the right thing, Pastor, thank you for that. It's like oil upon my head and my head will not refuse it. Yeah, you might not be any different than the men who were trying to kill David and then under God's presence began to prophesy. It didn't mean that they were any less murderous. It just meant that God divinely intervened. Look at verse 19. You're going to like this. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. He was getting corrected by 80 men of God, and he got mad. Listen, listen to the next phrase. Look at this: While he was raging at the priests.: What did that look like? In their presence, before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Bruh, bruh. Where did the leprosy break out? On the forehead right on the mark of where his thinking was stinking. He stayed leprous the entirety of the rest of his life. He lived in a separate place from the palace because this never went away from him. Instead of yielding to the correction that came, he literally rose up and got angry at it. He was incensed, raging at the priest. Man, doesn't that sound like just a few services ago? Sounds like everybody from Pharaoh to the men who were trying to cast Jesus down a hill. It's the same product of when we're arrogant and prideful. There's this anger that rises up in the very place of the stinking thinking. Come on, let's go back to Samuel and see the third statement.
1: So Uzziah, what did he have in his hand? A censer with incense ready to burn. This is to make intercession for others, to be a fragrant offering offering before God. And his own stinking thinking then became the smell of death before God. And God left a mark on him. See, we have a progression here. We have assumption that leads to arrogance, that leads to anger and offense. Anger and offense is the third one. It's the third one that we identified in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 2. Jonathan's third statement. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. See, in Jonathan's third statement, you can hear the offense oozing out of his heart. Essentially saying, I am offended. You would even suggest that I am not as important as I think I am. Why would Saul hide this from me? He's my dad. He's the king. I'm right next to him. I have a place of prominence and authority and position. How dare you suggest that I'm not that important? He's even angry towards David and saying, it's not so. Everything you're saying, David, it's wrong. You lack discernment. You don't see this correctly. I don't want to believe this. Oh, you had those same thoughts inside your heart. When something is being brought to your attention, it's exposing your assumption. It's exposing your arrogance. It is resulting in internal anger and offense. And all you can do is begin to throw spears. To defend your own pride and your own stance. In fact, Proverbs 18:19 says this, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, wow. and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. You see, assumption, arrogance, anger, offense, they all sound like very natural earthly thoughts and feelings inside of you, right? Good rationale, reasonable emotions, but don't you remember that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood? Well, what do we wrestle against, church? Rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual dominators. That's what we actually wrestle against. In fact, we showed you guys a slide a couple weeks ago of the book of Enoch. And then it records one of the means in which these rephaim, these spirits of the dead, cause such chaos and havoc, and that is to bring about or cause offenses, injurious thoughts to your relationships around you and your walk with the Lord. Those little seeds of discord that begin to destroy shalom inside of you before it ever manifests in those around you. See, we need the counsel of our king, David. We need that counsel to help us get rid of stinking thinking and put to death these thoughts that are earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. We need some resurrected thinking. Come on. We need that kind that puts to death the stinking thinking and brings to life the mind of Christ inside of us. The one that is victorious. The one that seeks shalom. The one that sees resurrection life inside of you and inside everyone else around you. Come on. In fact, there's a scripture that comes to mind, Pastor. Okay. And this one I'll just reference. Okay. It's Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 through 2, baby. That in the process of becoming a living sacrifice, we no longer conform to this world, but we are transformed in the renewing of our minds so we can test and approve of what God's will is His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Having a transformed mind is having resurrected thinking. Come on That's what God has called us to. A note. That the word world in Romans twelve two is not the word cosmos. It's something entirely different. that relates to Ephesians 2, 2 and 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 8. But you're going to have to study that on your own as we move along.
0: <laughs> Somebody say, I want some resurrected thinking. I want some resurrected thinking. See, we have to have that third day thinking kind of going on in us. Look at verse 3 of 1 Samuel, chapter 20. But David took an oath. And he said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. See, David is laying it out. You're seeing that David has some resurrected thinking. He has some third day thinking that's going on. See, three spears have been thrown at David, but he hasn't sinned. He still has his thinking correctly. He is in the mind of Christ. Three years of Jesus' ministry went by, and no one could prove him guilty of sin. Do you see these parallels? The false king wanted to kill both men. Saul wanted to kill David. The powers of the world wanted to kill Jesus. Here David is referring to the step he took to avoid those spears. He was saying, I I had to get out of the way. I had to move out of the way of that. See, I, I need some help. But saints, tonight we should consider how great David is from stepping away from the spear, but how much even better Jesus Christ is because He stepped into the penalty of sin so that we can have resurrected thinking. Yes, you got to understand, He stepped right in the way of the problem. He stepped right into the pain. He stepped right into the crucifixion so that we can have the resurrection power that we need to overcome our stinking thinking. Somebody say, I want the resurrected thinking. (laughs) I want the resurrected
1: thinking. What a hope, what a joy that there at the crucifixion Jesus made a public spectacle of those powers in the heavenly realms that opposed him, that defected God long ago. In addition to that, able to put to death our sinful nature and give us a resurrected mind, give us resurrected thinking. But to get that, you have to have the heart like Jonathan, though. Let's look at verse 4. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. <laughs> See, perhaps here we can, we can learn from Jonathan. A level and depth of humility that is able to quickly submit his own prideful thoughts to the king. Maybe we could say here and now, whatever you want me to do, Jesus, I'll do it. I'm tired. I'm tired of piercing my own self with my assumptions my arrogance, my anger, my offense, my pride. See, here Jonathan is showing in the present moment what will actually be proven true in just three days from that point moving forward.
0: Let's look at verse 5. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival, and I'm supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. Mm. See, today is day one. Tomorrow, day two. The day after tomorrow, day three. That third day thinking here. See, David should have rightly been able to dine with a righteous king. But because of sin, he was concealed in a field. See, he had to go away. He's talking to his friend and saying, no, there's going to be a way that I can prove this, but it's going to take me three days to get there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take me three days for you to be able to understand then what I'm telling you Now. Come on now, church, how much verification do you need? See, when we're talking about Jonathan saying, I'm going to do whatever you need me to do, I will do it. Just tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to do, Lord. How much verification? How much proof are you waiting on before you go and do exactly what he's told you to do? Are you in stinking thinking, or have you been transformed into resurrected thinking that says, I'm going to take it now, even though I know I'll have to wait three days for it to be there? See, this thing thing. Same thing happened with Jesus who should have rightly been able to dine with the Father. But he went down into the lower regions to take care of the celestial opposition there until the third day. Yeah. See, the third day. What would it be like if we could suspend our judgments today and tomorrow and until the evening of the next day? Yeah. How often will we find that the Lord's plan was different than ours? Hmm. Come on now, church. We talk about it all, all the time here in this church. The distance between life and death is... Three days. How many things can change in three days? How much of your life can change over the course of three days? See, how often would we find that His plan is different than ours if we could just have resurrected thinking? How often would we have unknowingly rebuked something that God had born? Something that was born of God because we just failed to understand because we weren't in that three-day or resurrected thinking. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says this. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. Can I encourage you that tonight we need to, not just our bodies, we will see that one day, but our thoughts need to be resurrected today. Amen. Our thoughts that are sown are perishable, but it could be raised imperishable tonight. (laughs) It could be sown in dishonor, full of assumption full of arrogance, full of offense, but raised with power. It could be sown as part of a natural body, but it's raised a part of a spiritual body. Because if there is a natural, there is also a spiritual. See, a faith based on the resurrection of the dead must feature resurrected thoughts. You have to have resurrected thoughts. You cannot continue to wallow in your own thoughts be in your own mind instead of in the mind of Christ that 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that we already have.
1: Yeah. Amen.
0: You already have it. The problem is, is we don't operate it. We stay in our own stinking thinking because it's not offensive enough to us. We're used to the way that it smells. It's got the smell of death, but to us we've become accustomed to it. Anybody ever walk into a house and realize that the gas was on? And the people in the house didn't know that the gas was on? Yep. I mean, just a random example, of course. <laughs> you get used to the smell of your own thinking. You get used to your stinking thinking. And you have to have a resurrection in your thoughts. Why are we talking to you about this? We are trying to connect some of these things so that we can continue to go on and understand that there may be celestial opposition. you know one of the tools that they use? Do you know one of the doors that opens you up to these problems? Is your stinking thinking. Yeah. They nudge, they bump, they whisper in your ear, and you fall for it. We're saying, have a resurrected thinking, church. You can yeah. do this. Yes. You have got the power of the Almighty at work within you. Not just one day will your physical body, but today that you will have resurrected thinking. This is how you're going to defeat the celestial opposition. It's impossible, though, if you're operating only in your natural stinking thinking kind of way. The only way to please God, the only way to defeat the enemy is to have resurrected thinking.
1: Now, the church that that we're in, the family that God has built in this place, we win. And not only do we win, we continue to win. Church, do you want to continue to defeat celestial opposition? Do you want to increase the amount of celestial opposition that you defeat on a daily basis? Let me tell you what you must have with resurrected thinking to accomplish this. You must have supernatural trust in your brothers. You must have supernatural trust in the ones that God has put on your right and left, knowing that God can move through them just like he's moving through you. Are you willing to have supernatural trust in the ones that God has put around you? In order to defeat celestial opposition, you must also have supernatural confidence In your spouse, husbands, wives, increase your level of confidence in the covenant to a supernatural level. Don't just have a natural level. Elevate it to the heavens. Elevate it with resurrected thinking. Trust that God can do what he said he would do inside of you and inside of your spouse. Knowing that from that covenant, God will defeat celestial oppositions. Do you want some more? In order to defeat celestial opposition, you must have supernatural hope for your children. You cannot parent out of fear. You cannot parent out of despair. You must have an elevated standard of God's word, which means you will have an elevated view of God's view for your children's life. Intercede. Pray for them. Cover them with the word. Embed the word of God inside of their heart and their mind and make sure it comes out of their hands and their feet and their mouth. Let the hope of God rise inside of you so the call of God can rise inside of them. In order to defeat celestial opposition, your discernment must come from what the son of David says. Not what you see, not what you feel, and not what you think. Mm. Your emotions, your mind, your thoughts are designed by God to be submitted to God. Not to be on equal plane and definitely not to lead him. You are to take captive those thoughts. You are to take captive those emotions. Make them submitted to God so that His supernatural power can be
0: victorious through you, your household, and this entire church. Come on now, that's good. See, this is why we need references like Hebrews 4 that teaches us that it's the Word that discerns the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. You're not the one to judge those things. But we got to be like Jonathan today. we got to say, look, Speak, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. Wherever you want me to go, Lord, instruct me. Speak to me and I will do it. That's resurrected thinking. That is third day thinking. See, we have to be able to trust in what the Lord is saying. Jonathan learned that David was right, but it took him three days to learn it. Peter learned that Jesus was right, but it took him three days to learn it. See, what we're trying to say is have the resurrected thinking now. Have that resurrected Holy Ghost on fire, word-filled thinking now. Where you don't even need to see the proof because you trust and you know his word now. You have a resurrected thinking. What if we assumed that God was right before he had to prove it? What if we presumed that us walking in this way daily, of us being passionate about the discipleship that God has put before us, what if we took it for the truth as a resurrected thinking now? Not having to always doubt. Not always having to question. Not always having to have stinking thinking about what you've been instructed to do. Look, I don't see it. I've tried it for a whole three hours, Pastor, and it just doesn't seem to be right. Come on now. We can have resurrected thinking in this house tonight. You can have resurrected thinking in your life starting now. Stand to your feet with us.
1: Mighty God, we lay our hearts, our minds on the altar. We say, Lord, help us put to death our carnal, stinking thinking. That we may obtain your mind that is full of resurrected thinking. But we say, tell us, speak to us. We will do whatever you say to do because it is a matter of life and death you are our life and apart from you is death we thank you jesus for your word move on our hearts strengthen us with your spirit empower us to be your sons and daughters that have your mind and do your will